The meat of live is Christ. The meat to die is gain. Every moment in between, there'll be joy and there'll be pain. I can't worry about the future or change a thing about my past. I've got this moment to believe and I'm gonna make it last. I am filled to be emptied. This is Pastor Michael Rogers from The Jar at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. Father, I just praise you and thank you that your word is true no matter who gives it. And I just ask God that you would bless us today. Father, remove me from this teaching. Father, let only your truth pass through my lips. If there's anything that comes from me, God, I pray that it's quickly forgotten, no matter how funny it is or witty or smart sounding or wise. God, if it's from me, it means nothing. But if it's from you, if it's from your word, if it rings with your truth and drips with your grace, then God, I know that it can transform the hearts of every person who hears it. And so I'm trusting in you and not myself, trusting in your spirit and not my spirit, trusting in your word and not my word to change us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we have been walking through really what it means for us to be the jar. And so what we wanted you to know was what our core values were, what we stood for, and how we are, are wired. And so the first thing we let you know is that our core values are joy, authenticity, and relationship. And all of those are, they, they have their root in Christ, uh, and they grow out through us. And so we are filled to be emptied. But one of the big things we're about is disciple making. And so we know the byword today in the church is to make, is for us to be a part of discipleship. Um, and to be disciples is an important step. But if we are not learning how to be disciple makers ourselves, then we are not able to accomplish the mission. And so our hope is that every single person in this room recognizes that if they have put their faith in Jesus, they already know more than someone who has not yet put their faith in Jesus. And that means there are people in your life that you can disciple. And that is not as scary as it sounds, but it is heavy and serious, isn't it? So we gave you six questions to go through to try to think about that, and they spell the word filled uh, in the middle there. So the first one is, am I fervently pursuing my faith? The second one is, am I invested completely in God's mission? The third one is, am I learning how God uniquely shaped me? The fourth one is, am I loving the person in front of me? The fifth one is, am I expecting God to move in real life? And this last one that we have been working on the last few weeks is, am I discipling someone? And if we're asking all of those questions each day, and we are finding the answers to that, then we're on the road to becoming disciple makers. And so that's, that's what we're trying to accomplish. And we figured the best way to become disciple makers is for us to work together to do that. So one of the things that we're asking today is, is am I discipling someone? And am I discipling someone can be broken down. Uh, Paul, very often through his scripture, talks about standing firm. Uh, and so we took the word stand and we made an acronym out of it. This is just a way for you to be with someone else who is also a believer 
and have a process to kind of go through to know how to make disciples of each other. And so uh, that, that's where we feel like it works the best is when there's a group of two or three or four who have gotten together for the express purpose of trying to figure out how can we accomplish the mission of Christ in our own lives? How can I become sanctified now that I'm saved? How can I become, be made holy? How can I be set apart? How can I be separate from the world? But also, how can I affect and influence the people around me? So the first one that has to happen before anything else is to submit to God. And we talked in James about how he says that we need to submit to God, therefore. And then he says, resist the devil and he will flee. And so the most important thing we can do is submit to him because it puts the enemy on the run. And once we've done that, now we can start talking about life together and just be authentic and real with each other and share what's going on in our lives. And one of the things I encourage groups to do is to, to ask two questions of each other. The first one is, what are you celebrating today? And the second one is, what's keeping you up at night? What's keeping you from sleeping at night? And if you start having conversations about that part of your lives, what you're going to discover is that you can see the blessings of God and you can see the challenges of life and you can help each other figure that out. So the next step then after you talk about life is to assess each other. And Pastor Kerry Nault, our family pastor, did a great job last week of helping us to understand that this kind of assessment should be encouraging and not judgmental. The idea isn't for it us to figure out the faults of the other person and make them feel bad about it, but instead to figure out the challenges in that person's life and help them to understand what it means for them to grow in Christ. What's the next step for them? And to encourage them and help them. And the root word there in encouragement is courage. How can we embolden them, get them to the place where they have the courage to make the changes in their lives that they need to make? But if you are gathering together and you're doing all three of those uh, steps, you have still not put yourself in a position to understand the wisdom of God. So the next step is to nourish each other, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So we always uh, start with a considered question, just 15 seconds or so, for you to really just think about a question that I'm asking. You don't have to share your answer with anybody. It's meant to get you thinking along the lines of what we're teaching in the day, but it's also meant for you to have another moment with God where you can just say, God, what is it that I'm, what, what is it that I'm supposed to get out of what God you are speaking today? And the consider question today is, how am I learning what to believe? How am I learning what to believe? We are today going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 11. I'm using the NLT. It's just a little easier to understand. But actually, in this particular passage, I feel like they do a great job of bringing out the original language. We're going to start in verse 6. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right. So I'm going to read the passage, and then we're going to kind of walk back and explain where it comes from and what's happening inside of it. So verse 6 says, If you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy... You will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, 
and particularly of all believers. Paul is writing to Timothy, and Timothy is a young man who has uh, grown in stature as he, as he started uh, learning under Paul. He's got to a place where he's ready to be a leader. And Paul is writing to him because Timothy has had some insecurity about being a leader. Have you ever been in a position where you wanted to lead something, but you just felt like maybe you didn't have it? Maybe there was some reason that you couldn't do it? Uh, and Timothy's in that place, partly because he's a young guy. And, you know, who listens to young guys? I remember I, I was a, a bank manager at about the age of 26 or so. And nobody, I, people would come in and ask me questions. And I had done a lot of research on finances and no one would pay attention to my advice. They'd almost always do the opposite of whatever I said. And then one day, like there was a whole day where everybody listened to what I was saying. I'm like, what changed? And I, I'm, I'm getting excited. I'm like, I'm, it must be my knowledge. It must be how great I am. I, look, how, look at everything that I'm getting to do. And so I went to my assistant manager and I said, I can't believe it. But today of all days, people are really listening to me. She said, huh, that's weird because we don't listen to you. And I said, I know. And then she smiled and she said, do you want me to tell you what it is? And I said, yes. And she pointed up at the fluorescent lights. And I was like, the fluorescent lights are the reason that they listen to me now? And she said, yeah, it highlights the gray in your hair. <laughs> sure enough, people were starting to see me as older, and so they were starting to pay attention to what I had to say because they thought maybe I had some wisdom to go along with my knowledge. Timothy was worried because he hadn't had enough time to develop wisdom. He really was still learning wisdom as he was going. But he had had so much knowledge. He had been raised by two women who had just poured the scriptures into him. He had been uh, taught by Paul. And that was an opportunity for, I mean, the one who wrote most of the New Testament to be teaching you how to be a leader and how to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is writing a letter to him to say, hey, look, don't worry about your age. Worry about what you have been taught and what you have seen and go do that. And the first thing he does in 1 Timothy is he, t he warns about false teachers, and then he starts giving them, him leadership ideas, and then he gets to the end of, of verse 3, and he reminds Timothy of the truth. Listen to the truth in chapter 3, verse 14 is where we're going to be. I am writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I am delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Now, that's not necessarily saying that the church is, is the truth. Jesus is the truth. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. But what he means is the church is where Jesus deposited that truth and where he expected that truth to go forth. We are the pillar and the foundation of our faith. If the local church is not able to present the word to those who do not yet believe, then how, does, how is God going to get the word out? So just in case Timothy didn't understand, he follows that up in verse 16 by saying, without question, this is the great mystery of our faith, so that we remember what the truth is, and this is the truth. Christ was revealed in a human body. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and taken to heaven. And glory. And that is the truth that he wants him to cling to. 
But as a leader in the church, his job is to make sure that truth is going not just in the walls, but outside the walls. And, and so that those who already believe and those who do not yet believe have a chance to learn and understand. So then he starts in verse chapter four of just saying now there's going to be these false teachers and they are coming around and they're going to be teaching things that are going to get in the way. But we know what the truth is. And because we know what the truth is, we can combat that. And that's what he means when he says in verse 6, if you explain these things, the Greek literally means if you lay these things out. Have you ever, have you ever tried to explain something to somebody and you, like, you had a lot of different stuff and you just kind of laid it all out so they could see? Here's, here's what I'm talking about. Maybe, you, maybe you're trying to figure out where to go on a trip and you laid out a map or you opened up your Google and you looked at Google Maps and you say, Tickly, here, see, here's where it is. And, and you showed them. It's laying it out. And he says, if you just lay these things out to the brothers, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus. But interesting that he says then, a person who lays things out for the brothers and sisters is also one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. In other words, the fact that you are deciding to teach is also what's beginning to nourish you. And so helping others learn nourishes our faith. When we have to explain what we already know, then we start understanding better what it is we believe and what it is we know. Any teacher will tell you the best way to learn a topic is to have to teach it. Because if you're going to teach it, you've got to think about all the questions that your students would ask. And you've got to be able to go, okay, how would I answer this? But no matter how prepared you are, when you're a teacher and you get in front of students, they're going to ask a question you did not expect. And you are all of a sudden going to have to either admit one of two things. Either you're going to have to admit that... Hey, now that we've laid all these things out, I can take this and this and this and I can answer that question. Here's what the answer is. Or you can say, hey, I laid out a bunch of stuff and none of it has to do with that. I don't know what the answer to that question is. I'm going to have to find out for you. And the minute you do that, you're nourishing your faith because you're putting yourself in a position to have to learn more. So he says, look, if you lay all these things out, it's going to nourish your faith. And it's going to nourish the good teaching that you have followed. So you are going to understand better yourself. You're going to believe better yourself. And you're also going to be helping the other person. If that's true, then that means if there's teaching that you're following, that means somebody else has been pouring into your life. And that's one of the beauties of the way God set up the church is that you don't just learn from the preacher who's up there on Sunday. You learn from every person who talks to you about Jesus. If they have something to say about who Jesus is and what they know about him, you have an opportunity to learn from every one of them. So there's teaching in the word that you're going to hear sometimes from someone who's just making a stray comment in the foyer before church even starts. Or you're going to have a conversation on the way home with somebody about what you just learned. Or you're just going to be talking about life with somebody who also believes. Then they're going to say, you know what I just found out? So that means not only does helping others learn nourish our faith, but learning from others also nourishes our faith. Now that's important for us to understand if that's the case. Then we need to know how to spot the good teaching from the bad. So in another place, in, uh, in a second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, Paul says this, But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach 
how I live, and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. In other words, I've been living out this faith, and you've been watching, and you have seen the benefit of it, and you've seen the challenge of it. And you know from watching me do this that you can trust my doctrine because you have seen me live it out. It's not just something I say. It's not just something I talk about. It is something that actually affects my life. And as it affects my life and I do this, you see the benefit and the influence that it creates. And so one of the things we need to see is if, the per if that person is teaching us, part of that teaching is that they're trying to live it out themselves. But he also then, a little bit further, says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare his people to do every good work. And so what he's telling him is, yes, you have seen me do all of these things. And yes, you can follow me. And yes, I'm, it's kind of follow the leader. I'm following Christ, you follow me. Uh, he says in another place in scripture, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. But that doesn't take the place of getting into his word yourself and finding out who God is. So when we asked you earlier, where do you learn what it is that you believe? There are many of us who spend a little bit of time on TikTok, a little bit of time on YouTube. We spend a little bit of time in commentaries. Back in the day, we used to spend a little bit of time in magazines, things like that, read articles. I've spent a little bit of time looking at sermons from other pastors, trying to figure out what they are seeing that maybe I'm not seeing. But nothing replaces my interaction with the word of God to teach me what God wants me to know. And so if helping others learn nourishes my faith, it's because the time I spend in here can be used to help them. And if others teaching us and us learning from them nourishes my faith, then that needs to be com coming from someone who is steeped in this. Paul was steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. The New Testament scriptures hadn't been written yet, but he had spent years in the wilderness trying to figure out is now that I know Jesus is really the Messiah, how do I show everyone what this looks like? And when he goes to Jerusalem to meet the apostles and he explains to them what he understands of the gospel, they don't have any way to correct him because he has rightly understood what it was that God was showing him. And that kind of person is worthy of following. Now, can a person who is not very steeped in the faith still teach you something? Absolutely. Sometimes it's the person who doesn't know as much, who asks a question that everyone has forgotten to ask, is what causes wisdom to happen in the first place. So sometimes a, a person who doesn't know as much as you can teach you just as much about God as someone who knows more than you. And that's why important, it's important for us to gather together. But when we gather together, we also come together, and there are places where we can learn other things, and we can sometimes get off the path. And that's why... Paul doesn't say, don't listen to false teaching. What he says is, verse 7, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. In other words, arguing does not nourish your faith. As a matter of fact, it distracts you. When you get so caught up in arguing the faith with people, 
that you are no longer listening, you don't get your faith nourished, it begins to actually diminish. And you start being the one who is the arbiter of truth instead of the word. You start being the one who knows all the right answers instead of God. And once we put ourselves in that place, pride has taken the place of our humility and we are now at a place where we can make mistakes and not even know it. This is just the truth and we have to all recognize it whether we like it or not. And that is left to ourselves, if we aren't careful, it takes very little time at all for God to start looking like us. It's when we realize that we've got to just rest in the truth and let God speak the truth to us and speak the truth to each other and be open to God teaching us something new that we start recognizing, okay, this is, this is the right place for me to be in so that I can learn more and understand better. But if I spend all my time arguing with those who don't believe, I, let me just say this. I don't know that I remember in all my years of ministry arguing someone into the, into the faith. Most of the time, what it's taken is loving someone into the faith. So don't argue. Instead, learn and help others learn. You know the best way to do that is with questions. Jesus asked a lot of questions. There was a lot of times when people were asking, asking answers from him, and he would respond with a question instead of giving them the answer. And many times those people already knew the answer. There's even one time, we often talk about uh, the great uh, commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And we, when we do that, we use the stories where somebody asks Jesus any answers. But there's actually one of those times when a scribe asks Jesus and Jesus says, what do you think? And the scribe is the one who answers Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. <laughs> so sometimes we do need to share our, our truth, our, our understanding, our knowledge, our wisdom. But sometimes we need to ask questions so that others have an opportunity to come to that knowledge themselves. Because I don't know about you, but the knowledge that sticks with me is the knowledge that I discover, not the knowledge that I'm told. If I discover it, then all of a sudden, it's a part of me. If I'm told it, it sometimes will go right in this ear, and there's a whole lot of air in between that goes out the other ear, and there's nothing for me to do about it. Now, having said all of this, here's the difference between disciple-making and discipleship. In discipleship, the goal is to get the knowledge. But in disciple-making, the goal is godliness. Look at what Paul says. He says, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. If we learn godliness, and, and just let's just pause here and let's talk about what godliness is. Godliness is recognizing the worth of God and the value of God so much that everything you do brings honor to him. We used to call it back in the days, we called it piety. And we've sometimes called it holiness. But godliness is, is this sense of everything in my life is devoted to him. And no matter what I do or what I say, no matter how I act or what decision I make, I want to do it in such a way that it honors him. So he's not saying you should be godly all the time. He says training and godliness is better because it's going to help you in this life. Because the more you act like Jesus, 
the better your life is going to be. But it's also going to help in the life to come. Because at the more you learn about Jesus, the more you love him, the more you believe in him, the harder it is to shake you from that truth. So there is benefit today, and there's benefit someday. But the benefit is godliness, not knowledge. And so we need to be careful of that. Godliness is the goal, not knowledge. Knowledge helps us. But when Peter put together a list of the qualities that we should be working on as disciples in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says the first thing you need is faith, but you need to add to your faith virtue. And that idea of virtue is beginning to act right. They need not just act right, beginning to have the character that would cause you to act right. Your faith helps you to go, you know, what, what would Jesus do? So if Jesus would do that, I'm going to do this in my life. That, that character is first. So add to your faith virtue. And then add to your virtue knowledge. And then you add to knowledge self-control. But very often, whenever we, uh, whenever we try to be disciples, we do one of two things. We either go straight from our faith to getting more knowledge, or we go straight from faith to get, having self-control. Jesus is more interested in who you're becoming than he is in what you're doing. So that's why faith, the next thing comes is virtue, and then knowledge, and then self-control. So if I am committed to Jesus and I am committed to letting him transform me, then when I have knowledge, it's going to aid and benefit me. It's going to cause me to grow. It's going to nourish me. And when that happens, I'm just going to naturally begin to have self-control. It's not something I have to work at. It's just something I have to allow God to do in me. So God is the goal and not the knowledge. And the great thing about it is that it can come from anywhere inside the church. Paul was talking to the Corinthians about orderly worship, and he was just wanting them to understand. And we often get caught up in the whole tongues and prophecies and spiritual gifts and all of that. And when we get into 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, what we really want to do is either focus on love and forget all the others or argue about the gifts. But what does arguing do? It distracts us. It does not nourish us. And when we get caught up in that argument, what we end up doing is we end up creating division inside the church when Jesus prayed for unity in the church. Paul was really trying to help us to understand that it's where the, the church is where learning happens. The church is where training happens. The church is where godliness begins because it's the place you can go where you know you can have that conversation. Especially nowadays in our communities, we're not sure sometimes whether or not it's okay to talk about God in, this commu in the communities that we're in. There are some people who maybe who would be offended by it, or maybe it's your work and they don't want you to do it, or maybe you're at school and they don't want the God in the schools, or whatever it is, you, there are places where you go where you're trying to decide, is this a good place for me to do that or isn't there? But that should never be the case inside the church. We should all be coming in ready to talk about God, to talk about Jesus, to talk about the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, in order for that to happen, there needs to be orderly worship, and everyone needs to have an opportunity. So in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, it says, when you meet together, one of you will sing, and another will teach. Another will tell some special revelation that God has given. One will speak in tongues, another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. So imagine that. Imagine a church uh, gathering 
where everybody comes in and everybody has an opportunity to participate. Everybody has an opportunity to be engaged. Everybody has an opportunity to share what God is showing them. Imagine a church gathering where every time someone opens their mouth, they're doing it to build up someone and not to tear them down. No one's arguing anymore, but they are having nice debates. No one is worrying about what, how, what people think of them because they know this is a place where they can be authentic and they can just be themselves and admit to the struggles that they have because the person next to them is going to admit to their struggles too. And we are suddenly sharing the challenges of the church in a way we never have, maybe, maybe in centuries. What if the church took this seriously? And we did everything when we came together to strengthen every person that we talked to. You know what that sounds like? Joy, authenticity, relationship. It sounds like coming in to give instead of to get. It sounds like disciple making. Whether the person in front of you already believes or is not yet a believer. And we strengthen each other. That's why Paul ends with this. Verse 9, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. Some of you might struggle with that whole concept, I know, um, but, but just, let, let's just focus on this part. Our hope in God helps us to toil and struggle. That idea of working hard is actually working until you're exhausted. It's working until you have nothing left to give. And that idea of struggle is struggling against an opponent. I don't know what it might be for you, but for me, what ends up getting in the way doesn't have to be the devil. <laughs> I can do that all by myself, get in my own way. I can be my own worst enemy. I can also find that I am having a hard time coming into the church and sharing what I am because the church has somehow become my enemy. I can also go out into the world and find out that when I'm out in the world, I just can't be who God's calling me to be and keep the friends that I have. And I have an opponent that is working against me. And the only thing that I can do in every single one of those cases is put my hope in him and do the work. But the work is not what saves us. The work is what God uses to save others. I'm not working so that God will love me. I'm not working so that the church will accept me. I'm not working so that I can be known as a super Christian. I'm working because there is a not yet who needs to become an already. And I might be the one they're watching to decide if that's true or not. So, if we make a commitment to each other as a body of believers in this gathering to be nourishing each other, then this becomes a place where people can be themselves and we will teach them how to fervently pursue their faith how to invest in the mission of Christ, how to learn how God uniquely shaped them, how to love the person in front of them, no matter who they are, 
how to expect God to move in real life. And you know what we'll be doing? We'll be discipling someone. When we were studying today, uh, Pastor Carrie put this on my heart and uh, she was actually, she had, she had done some studying and she had learned some new things about what she called the last breakfast. You've heard of the last supper? Did you know there was a last breakfast? See, right at the end of his time, after his, uh, his uh, rising from the dead, Jesus was on the shore and his disciples had gone back to fishing. And while he's on the shore, he calls out to them and he says, hey, throw your nets over on the other side. And on a whim, they just decide to do that. And they pull in so many fish, they don't know what to do with them. And immediately Peter says, it is the Lord. And he jumps out of the boat because this is who Peter is. He just jumps out of the boat. He could have just gone with the boat and it would have been a lot easier. And, and I, I imagine he jumped out of the boat and started swimming and all the rest of the guys started laughing and they pulled the fish in and then they rolled the boat there and got there before him. It's real possible. But he jumps out of the boat and he goes, and Jesus says, hey, he's got a little fire. He says, hey, bring some of that, those fish that you, that you caught. And he makes breakfast for them right there on the spot. And then he turns to Peter, who has denied him three times when he was facing the cross. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And when he says that, he is, we've been talking about the four different loves. Jesus says, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. But he uses the word philos, which is the highest human love. Jesus is saying, can you love me with a divine love? And Peter is saying, I've been trying, Jesus. I promised you. I promised you that I would die with you. And I denied you anyway. I've been trying to love you that way. And I have realized something about myself. I can't. But I can love you in the best way that I know how. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Then he said a second time, Peter, do you love me? Can you give me a God bay love? And Peter, a little exasperated, says, Lord, you know I love you. Philos, highest level of human love. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. And then a third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Because what he's trying to figure out is the maturity of Peter. Peter the impulsive. Peter the one who was the first to drop before him and say, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Peter the one who jumped out of the boat whenever Jesus was crossing in the middle of a storm. Peter the one who said, I'll lay down my life for you. Peter who was the one who said, Lord, if you're going to wash my feet, wash my whole body. Jesus wanted to know, Peter, have you learned the lesson yet? Do you understand? And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know I feel lost you. And then Jesus tells him, you know, when you were young, you got to go wherever you wanted to go, but there's going to come a time when they're going to lead you somewhere you don't want to go, but that's okay. And he ends that conversation with the same two words that he started with Peter. Follow me. Follow me. And a more mature Peter. A Peter who understands now what it means to be a leader. A Peter who understands a little more about who Jesus is. A Peter who is still going to be confused. 
but is going to be willing to admit it. And Peter's going to stand on the truth that he knows, the mystery of God, that Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and take, taken to heaven in glory. So that when a rushing wind and tongues of fire land on him in the upper room and he walks out into the temple area, he preaches because he has been nourished in his faith by the one who had the most to teach him. And he had learned by experience and he had learned by the word and he had learned by his time with Jesus who he was supposed to be. And he was filled. But he knew that wasn't enough. So he emptied himself. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what we can do for others. That's what it means to follow him. Father, we love you and praise you. And we thank you, God, that you have given us this word today. And we ask, God, that you would help us to let it sink into us. Let it become a part of us. Father, our virtue, who we are. Father, let this not just be knowledge about you. Let this be firsthand knowledge of what it means to follow you so that we can make disciples who make disciples who make disciples so that the church can go on victorious so that the gates of hell will not prevail so that one more can say yes to you. In the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Jar with Pastors Michael and Carrie Rogers. If you'd like to support our mission, you can go to www.thejarministries.net and look for the Give button in the top right. Your sponsorship allows us to continue ministering to the least of us in our great city of Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you so much. I am filled.